Welcome to Sex and Happiness with Lori Handlers. Amazing sex and intimacy are just around the corner. While Lori puts the finishing touches on her new book, Sex and Happiness Over 60, please enjoy this show. It's one of her favorites from the Sex and Happiness Archives. My guest today is Om Rupani. He is a New York-based photographer, writer, and sex educator. He's been teaching workshops and coaching people in the sensual arts and BDSM for over 10 years. His new book, Prerequisites to Ecstasy, deals with the common obstacles he sees couples getting entangled in, obstacles that prevent them from going deeper into their relating and their sensuality. Well, isn't that so perfect? Om Rupani, welcome to Sex and Happiness. Nice to be here again, Lori. Yeah, it's wonderful to have you. I love the book. I, I didn't say this, but I'm one of the readers of the book, the editors of the book, the critics of the book, before the book well, came out. Some of the people I dearly trusted to give me feedback before yeah. finishing. Yes, and I loved I loved most of it. I had a little feedback about the last chapter or so, but most of it, I learned stuff by reading it. Listen to what he did, everybody. Ohm sent out this big, thick book, Prerequisites to Ecstasy, and he mailed it in a big envelope to his trusted friends with a red pen. And he said, fire away, critique, change, mark it up, do whatever. And I did. <laughs> and a few other people I know did. Having somebody give proper editorial feedback is a big gift for a writer, so I'm very grateful for that. Yeah, that's great. I did the same thing when I was writing my book. I don't think I knew you yet. I think I just was about to meet you at around the same time that my book was coming out, yeah. uh, around 2005 or six in New York. That's around the time we met, and that's right around the time that my book uh, was coming out after having it published in India. So... I didn't know you to do it, but I did do it with ten friends. I gave them, but I did it differently. I gave them each two chapters, and I told them to fire away on two chapters because I needed it back in a hurry. Anyway, I love what you did. I love the book. Let's talk about it. Let's first of all let's define our terms. Um, let's say what BDSM is because I think there are more than one definition. Well, traditionally BDSM. Uh, you know, even traditionally, I think it has stood for uh, multiple words. I have a whole chapter in my book uh, going into, like, what the hell is kink anyway? And I kind of play around with all the words that these four letters can stand for. B can be for bondage, D can be for discipline, but D is also for domination. S can be for sadism, S can be for submission, M can be for masochism. So... It's kind of a conglomerate. There's a lot that goes under that umbrella. I like to call it DS, domination and submission play. Yeah, that's my preferred entry point because I feel domination and submission, as I explained in the book, is kind of, to me, the the overarching umbrella under which all kink occurs. You can have domination and submission without an ounce of pain or discipline or sadism or masochism. Or you bondage. Can do yeah, you can you can do it in a very sensual way. It doesn't have to include any of the heavier scenes that we think are usually come with this realm. So, but I think the domination and submission archetypes—two people 
engaging with each other, each holding one of these two archetypes is where the game is. So if 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 uh, you need a clearer starting point, simply start with D and S, dominance and submission. Okay, I like it. I like it. I like making things simple for people because, you know, I a lot of my my listeners have heard about BDSM before. I've certainly done a number of shows on it, not only the show I did with you, right. but it really just helps to clear up the terminology and have people get it, you know, just get it. That And the other piece is that it's DNS play could be sensual and sexual without being sexual. Absolutely. I mean, even most of the time, I, I'm going to take a gander and say this broadly. I would say most people who practice DS play I think this might be safe to say. I would say at least 50% of the scenes actually don't even involve sex. So if you are, I mean, people who do DS, at least myself included and people I know, they're not fixated on sexual acts per se. They are really more fixated on everything else that can come out in this exploration. Yeah, so that's absolutely true. You can do DS. You can have an entire DS, long-term DS relationship with somebody and never engage in oral sex or intercourse. Let's put it that way. Is that clear enough? Yeah, that's great. Thank and you. And it can be a very thriving relationship. It, it can be a very complex relationship. It can be a, a relationship that has more of an evolutionary arc than so many of the so-called regular relationships. And it can be extremely sensual and erotic without explicitly going into those uh, sexual acts. Well, hopefully we're going to find out a little bit more about that today as we discuss your book. Because I, I know people have a tremendous interest, especially because they, you know, saw that terrible movie <laughs> or read that terrible book. Yeah. Um, so... You know, I know there's a tremendous interest out there. I'm glad the book was written. It woke up the the um, what do I want, the typical housewife, if there is such a thing anymore, house husband, if there is such a thing anymore. It woke yeah. up like the middle sector of society right. to the fact that there's more than just kiss, kiss, hug, hug. Fuck, I fuck, think, you know. <laughs> I totally agree with you. I'm not a huge fan of the book. I think the book does a big disservice to the uh, the true nature and depth of what DS play is. There's a lot of, uh, there are many things the book is off. I don't want to go into a dissertation of what's everything that's wrong with the book. But I, I am also very grateful that this book came out and it created this resonance with the general public. And I think it, it kind of did a leaping point. Because truth be told, women have been reading romance novels uh, since there have been romance novels. Women have been reading those uh, covers you see with the Fabio and grabbing a buxom woman and ravishing her. So these romance novel themes have been in the female psyche since Jane Austen and going back. And the theme of a powerful man kind of coming into your life and overwhelming you and you having to surrender to him. These these themes are running through the female psyche and the romance literature through, through and through. They've been there all along. 
Yes, I was yeah, it kind of makes it a bit more explicit. It kind of brings it into the current terminology and ways of engaging that fantasy, that desire, that very deep erotic impulse. So it's it's kind of a break and it's also kind of a continuation, in my opinion. Yeah, well, it's great. Listen, that's why you wrote your book. You know what I mean? That when there's one book or two books or three books out there, then you get right. to write your book with your point of view. Yeah. And, and your point of view gives people exercises, it asks questions that are so, oh, my God, they're so thought-provoking. I mean, I just, I was reading it and going, wow, wow, wow. So I'm going to try to come back to the parts I like the best. But let's talk a little bit about your background before okay. we get to the actual details of the book sure. and why people should get it. So, you know, you were, you're a photographer. You came from India to Houston, Texas to grow up. You went to Boston to college, and then you landed in New York as an artist. And yes. so how did you, you know, what provoked you to meet me that put you on somewhat of a journey? Then you met others that put you on somewhat of a journey How, why uh, again as i as i explained in my book when i go into my biography the my, my journey started on entirely for entirely personal and selfish reasons i've been in a wonderful long-term relationship with the same woman now i think it's been 28 years it's hard for me to actually keep count we it's, met it's in software of our college at BU. And so as many long-term couples, we kind of reached a point where we felt the sensual life could use, could use a little boost, could use a little novelty and expansion. And so we started looking at what was available and what was available was you. <laughs> that was fake. You were one of the first people I found when I basically searched and says, what are people doing in sensuality? And one big category that comes up in this search is people are pursuing modern Tantra. Right. You have done amazing work, and there are other good uh, Tantra teachers. Charles Muir is one of them, Barbara Carlos, and many other teachers who are bringing the spiritual element, the sacred element into sensuality and saying yes to it. They have done an enormous service, uh, creating a big yes for the women in society to come in and say yes to their sex. They've created great safe spaces all women's spaces oftentimes so that women can come and, you know, get this next piece for themselves. They have had so much success in the other areas of their life, in education, in finances, in career. But the sensual aspect is still kind of on the back burner. There isn't any great modern movement to evolve our sex for men or for women. And I think teachers like you and other wonderful Tantra teachers have really done a great service, first and foremost, holding that space for women and then for everybody, for couples. Thank you. So Thank you. that was my starting point, yeah, in uh, in the central journey and kind of, and, and as, I, as you can describe me to others and as I confess about myself in the book, I'm kind of a geek. I'm a nerd. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a, I, you know, I used to be a locker in my head when you met me. So my approach tends to be, you know, kind of methodical and cerebral, okay, like, okay, we need to make our sex life better. Okay, let's get get to it. What's there? What can we do? What are other people doing? What's possible? So I basically took workshops. I tried. I read, and kind of I started a whole trek. Well, you know, you're but you're. So, I mean, you have come 180. I just have, I have. to say, you've come <laughs> totally 180 degrees since I met you. I mean, you you did, you were just trying to wrap your thoughts 
around right. it when I first met you, and now you wrap your arms around it. Now you're touchable, you're holdable, you're huggable, you make great eye contact, you have a presence, you have a power. Before it was just like you were like a talking head. <laughs> you know, like yeah, and I feel, I mean, instead of taking in a 180, I almost feel how I see it is like my range has expanded. The head is still there. The head is good for understanding. The head is good for writing. The head is good for explaining things to other people and teaching. But the practice itself, it's, it's a feeling-based practice. It's a body-based experience. And uh, that's kind of what I'm giving to other people these days. I'm trying to get other people out of their heads these days. It's wonderful. I thought the book was amazing. I thought some of the questions in it were amazing. What's the basic premise? The basic premise is you need a solid foundation of relating with another human being before you build kind of a sensual life for them. I see a lot of people falling down. A lot of people come to me for specifically for sensual health. They say, well, you teach BDSM, you teach other sensuality practices, um, give us some tips. And I'm happy to give people the physical education. That's my, I love doing that. I love teaching hands-on classes. But where I see people falling apart over and over is not in uh, not being able to master the physical techniques or being able to learn new methods of sensuality. It is all the ways in which they are sabotaging each other, all the ways they are simply not supporting their relationship and not really a stand for each other's sensual growth. So it's very frustrating. It's like trying to build something on a very weak foundation when I'm coaching couples, if they don't have a solid foundation. So this book kind of goes into the problems I see coming up over and over. This particular book is kind of more a relation book than a BDSM book. Yes, it is. Now, would you say that it's values that clash, like they don't have a values match? Or would you say that it's communication skills that they lack? I think it's communication skills. I think it's life skills. I think they are the skills required, quite frankly, have a deeply spiritual dimension. I think people are becoming increasingly narcissistic these days. I think people are becoming increasingly uh, dismissive of each other. I don't think people are like committing to each other less and less. The, the mentality I see is, what can I take from this other? And if this person isn't giving me what I need, I'm just going to move on to the other one, next one. And I, I see this real shallowness of interaction between people, which is actually you know, quite heartbreaking to watch in itself. And it is absolutely nothing you can build deep sex on. You can build casual relationships. You can you can build a one-night stand with a flick of your finger. But, you know, that really doesn't mean much to me. My inquiry in this thing has been, what can we really build long-term? I, ju I, I just remembered that the last time I interviewed you, you had a play that was showing in New York City, and it was about this very yes. thing. Yeah, this is a theme that's kind of, you know, it's, I feel it's kind of my life theme. I, I've been facing it in my own life, and it's kind of where my mind is occupied, and it's I feel this is where I can contribute best to other people's lives. If all you want is, you know, uh, how, learn how to seduce and get somebody in bed for one night, please don't come to me. I got nothing for you. Go to the, go to the pickup artist and hone your skills on OkCupid and Tinder, and God bless you, and have fun, and be safe. I'm not interested in helping anybody do any of that. I myself have absolutely no idea how to do any of that. I, I actually don't consider myself particularly good at seducing anyone. I'm a shy person. I'm an introvert. I don't know how to talk anybody up. 
I don't know how to smooth talk anybody. You can say many things about me, Laura. You've known me more than a decade so far. You can say many things about me. Smooth talking and suave probably would not make the cut. No, that's not it's who you are. Not, <laughs> that's not what I do. But I'm interested in people really going into the depths of their eras. And the people who are interested in that, they need a strong foundation with each other. Well, they need a deep level of trust and they need to clean house in their relationship before they can go further in eras because it's kind of a hard thing to build. You know, the analogy might be it's like not only it's like a heavy building that needs a heavy foundation, but it's like this building set, sets itself on fire from time to time. So it kind of does not only it needs to be solid, it kind of needs to be fireproof on top of that. Right. It needs to be like stormproof <laughs> because sex is hot. Sex is crazy. You explore your eros more deeply with a partner. Everything comes up. And if, you're, if your house is not strong, you will just crumble and, you know, go go your merry way with disappointed, trying to look look for answers with the next person. And chances are same things usually repeat themselves with the next person. Well, I want to say about what I would say about you is I would say that I trust you with my life. I trust you with my body. And I trust you. Uh, and I actually find you more interesting to hang out with and relate to than most people that I know which is why whenever I'm in New York, I'm hanging out with you. So it's not, you know, who knew that? We didn't know that when we met in 2006 or whenever we met. We didn't know that that was going to happen, but that's just the way it is. And we've certainly been through some stuff. Right. Uh, but that's just, that's who it is. I, ha I hold you in the highest regard. And I actually had my first DS experimentation with you because you said you were getting into it and I thought and you said why don't you come and try a, a scene with me try a try a session and I thought well if I'm going to try a session with anybody I'm going to try it with you right and I am honored flattered and happy to be able to hold that position for you yeah and I've told many many people about it I mean I I just said you know for me at the time it's already years ago too that we that we, you were still in the apartment in the lower right. in, in, lower in downtown, yeah, yeah, on Granite Street. And uh, I had this very sensual experience with you, and then I had to go to the New Life Expo. <laughs> I remember just feeling really, really grounded, like really embodied. I was in a cab in New York City, right. going uptown from your place, and. I just felt so grounded. Like I felt probably more embodied than I had ever felt before in my life up until that moment. And an, another mutual friend of ours called me while I was in the cab and said, how was your session with Ohm? <laughs> and I said, uh, yeah, I feel really embodied. Like boom, 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 boom. You know, and she said, oh, wasn't it, wasn't it great? You know, would you have another one with somebody? And I went, I don't know if I'd go that far. All I know is that that was great. Right. And of course, since that time, I've experimented and had some partners who like stuff like that. And so I've gotten more into it uh, myself. But I, I never knew that my life would go that way. And probably it wouldn't have if I didn't know you. Right. Larry, the discovery you made is exactly the same discovery I made. I think anybody who gets into DS kind of makes this discovery. Everybody discovers, wow, that's not what I thought it was. People have so many bad notions of what this area is, but you know, it is actually 
a very it's beautiful it's grounding it's embodied it it, it can take you high and it can just bring you back home well what and i can to do that without uh you, you literally you can do it while still keeping your clothes on so that's something. right 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 what i learned when we did the course together you know i'm a tantra teacher so you know everything is about eye gazing and taking yourselves to another plane and being blissed out and you know sitting in yab yum in the position where the woman straddles the man and it's you know you spend hours breathing together and then when we did the BDSM tantra course in Montreal i found out that people could get just as blissed out by tying each other up absolutely and by giving some spanking yeah yeah, and I firmly believe those two phenomenons are actually not disconnected. It's not like two separate things are happening in our body. I think all these practices are are impacting us in similar ways. We only have what I call one inner container. There is one inner system in our body. And we can check in at any point and see what our inner container is doing. And when any practice is beneficial when we find any practice to be grounding, when we find any practice to be arousing, it is basically impacting that container in a certain way. And to some degrees, there's a lot of overlap. Many practices kind of have similar impacts on our system. Many different things can ground you. Many different things can arouse you. Many different things can push your edges. And rope play, getting tied up for 10 minutes can you know be more centering than sitting in meditation for an hour for some people. That's so true. <laughs> that is so true. Well, I remember two things in, stick out in particular. One is when you came here and gave the talk, when you came to Arizona, yes. my students came here, my Tantra students, and they, they, some of them were mad. They were like, what does this have to do with Tantra? And I right. said, well, just listen to this man and you will see. And they walked out feeling great. They went you to come back, which you're going to come back in early 2018, they want you to come back and, and do some classes because they got it. They actually right. got how exciting it is. They got how much they could discover about themselves from it. Some of them had private sessions with you. Right. It was awesome. The other thing that I found out was really how close the practice of Tantra is to the, to the practice of BDSM, the way you do it. I can't say that for every single person who practices BDSM, possibly right. Barbara Carella, somebody I interviewed recently called Donnarama. He has a, a really high regard for people getting into DNS. But then there's people out there who, you know, saw the movie, read the book, and they're tying people up and spanking them, and they don't know what they're doing. It's not right. safe, and it's not that grounding. Yeah, I think there are, you know, there are a lot of people, and you know, God bless them all. Each, everyone is on their own journey, but there is a lot of getting fascinated simply by the shiny tools and implements that are used in the dungeon, and people kind of forget. They forget the interpersonal element. They forget that this is actually about handling a human being and not simply swinging your flogger. That's one of the kind of you know, beginner mistakes a lot of people make, especially a lot of people who think they want to be doms. They think it's about using every every toy in my toy bag in every scene. Uh, or they just, yeah, they get carried away just in the, in the persona of it. Mm -hmm. They kind of forget that this is actually about two human beings. It's about relationship. It's about 
connecting deeply with another human being. This is a very intimate play. So I think as long as you keep your focus on the humanity of it, you're kind of golden. But the same people who probably have trouble with intimacy in their vanilla life can show up in the DS world and then use the mechanics of DS to kind of keep their partners at a distance. So the, the fault is not in BDSM. The fault is in human beings. Right. Well, you are out of touch. Whatever you do will be out of touch. If you have trouble with intimacy, you could do any practice from, you know, Tantra to BDSM to anything, ballroom dancing, and you can keep your, you can give a cold shoulder to your partner and really not then feel held. So I think that's also partly the reason behind writing this book, that I need, I want people to have that foundation, have that really big yes for each other's journey, and then we can really play. So let's find out what a couple of the common obstacles are that you see people getting entangled in. You just named a few, like using something to keep people at a distance, right. keep your partner at a distance, being so, it's like intimacy averse, right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> intimacy intolerant. People, right. people are so, um, partially they're in their head, but partially they're so frightened of intimacy and frightened of being rejected, or, and some people are frightened of being seen. Right. So what else do you see? I mean, I see that often, and I also see just plain fear and being bottled up with trauma. Right. I mean, I can, I can tell you the solution I have for people when I encounter them, and this is, is getting them started in separating their archetypes, getting them to feel into their system and say, what do you resonate more with? With taking control or giving up control? Take a side and move in that direction. Mm. I, think the, I think the trouble most people are in, that most people have no idea how to lead, nor do they know how to follow. They're terrified to take control, they're terrified to give up control. And they're stuck in the middle. They're like, their negotiations never end. They're constantly stuck negotiating and fighting. Half the time they don't even know what they're fighting for, and they just don't know how to break out of it. And one great gift that even the most basic uh, DS scene can give you is it will it will tear you apart from your bickering and say one of you move to the dump and one of you move to the sub end and for 10 minutes go deeper into these archetypes and play out a scene and that can really clean out people's feels it can really clear their heads just for a limited amount of time just step up and take control and just for a limited amount of time step up and give up control to your lover just give it the hell up. That and is I, just having awesome. that invitation can open up a huge door for people. Well, thank you for that. That is beautiful. Now, let's talk about some of the things that you cover in some of the chapters. Like, what are some of the subheadings or things that people would be looking into if they purchased the book? Okay. Do you want to start me off on some topic or? Well, I, you know, I don't have it in front of me now. I just remember being enthralled about some of the negotiations, some of the things that people need to ask each other and maybe aren't asking each other. Um, right. I think it was, some of that was that part. I, I know there was one, there was a big aha for me, but I probably incorporated it into my life already. <laughs> so <Okay>. I <laughs> 
You know, I'm easy that way. Like, if I find something that's good, I just take it, put it in, and use it right away. I don't... I hear you. I try I to be the same way. I mean, if you find something good, why wait? Yeah. I, I never understand people who find something good and then show up again for six months. I'm like, how can you do that? But each to his own. Yeah, exactly. How is it... To me, I'm blown away when people, when I have somebody who's a Tantra student, they get so much out of the course, and then they get in a relationship... And they don't right. bring their partner to court, to the class. What is right. that? You know, I, why wouldn't you want your partner to have the same skills as you have? It's ridiculous. So anyway, that always is a that's always a big stump, you know, stumper right. for me. It's just like crazy. So really, because some of the conversations that people have to have uh, uh, in terms of negotiations. Well, this is something, I don't know if this is specifically in the book. I think we are we are talking more about BDSM and the book is so much about relationship. But let me talk about this. This might actually help your listeners if they are new to this inquiry. So people always ask, well, how do, how do I get started in this, in this realm? And the best answer to this is seek mentorship. But uh, come to class, learn, because uh, you need some mentorship. You need to see what this looks like. But if you want to get started on your own, do what I just uh, described, you know, before the break, that see which person wants to take control, which person wants to give up control. And for as short as a 10-minute scene, simply go in that direction. You can do a scene as simple as blindfolding your partner and feeding them strawberries, right? That's not too crazy. Even, even the most... Uh, down-to-earth vanilla sex therapist and sex coaches would say, you know, do something like that. But the principles of DS are actually so amazing that they're actually present even in that little strawberry scene. You don't really need to go ahead and buy whips and chains and leather outfits. The name of the game is take control and give up control. So if you think you would enjoy taking the position of blindfolding your lover, having them lean back, having them not know exactly what's coming next, whether you're going to gently caress their knee, whether you're going to run the back of your hand across their cheeks, whether you're going to maybe uh, run a feather across their belly or their forearm. The game is the same. You are taking control. You're telling your lover, lay back, just receive, give up control, surrender, just receive this experience. So the entire entire DS paradigm can start with a scene as simple as that. So you have stated in your book that women want to be ravished by their lovers, and their lovers come in and they're kind of duh. They don't know what to do. Is this? Well, I think men are, men are terrified these days to take control because we are talking ad nauseum about toxic masculinity, about how aggression is bad, about how assertiveness is bad. We want our men to cry these days. We want our men to express their feelings. And I'm like, you know, I am as I you won't find a bigger stand for men being in touch with their emotions, for men being in touch with who they truly are, for men being unrepressively masculine. And that means being nurturing. That means loving people wholeheartedly. But that also means saying yes to all the all the characteristics that have traditionally been considered masculine. We didn't just invent those. We didn't just come up with that list in some dark room of cigar-smoking macho men. 
these are really old characteristics that have that are true and tried and that have grown and evolved through generations of men and women uh, picking each other's characteristics. Women have selected what is attractive in men. Women have always selected what is attractive in men. And if the men today are aggressive and assertive, that's because those are the men that women selected to mate with. But today, women are saying, we don't want those men. They are saying, we want really delicate men. We want men who have no sign of aggression. We want men who are not assertive. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm actually totally fine with that paradigm also. But then the same women, at least in my world, in my community, will come forward and say, hey, Om, how do I get my man to dominate me? <laughs> I'm like, I can't help you. I really can't help you. Pick a side. Really pick a side. You cannot kill a man for his assertiveness. You cannot kill a man for his inclination to take charge of you, to give you an experience, to hold the door for you, or to take you on a ride, and then expect it to magically show up in the bedroom. And, and I see men in terrible conflict around this. I see women terribly frustrated. They're terribly divided between their political agenda and their erotic agenda, because the two are not meshing these days. This is the biggest conflict I'm seeing in the female psyche right now. Yes, absolutely. It's huge. So it, it, it's huge, and it's like it's too big for me to solve, certainly. I'm just observing it at this point. Mm -hmm. I'm like really observing this phenomenon at a massive scale. And what is, you know, interestingly, what this is creating in the modern woman is a deep shadow. Oh, my goodness. When your desires become so unacceptable, when your real desires become more and more unacceptable, you end up creating a very deep shadow. And today I am seeing the modern woman creating, really, she's like tying herself up in knots. She doesn't know how to resolve her politics with her sensuality. Because the fantasies haven't changed. Even the feminists will agree that much. Even they will fess up that, yes, even we have those fantasies, but what to do about them, whether to really reconcile your politics with your bedroom, I really don't know. You tell me. <laughs> well, people have to get real, that's all. No matter what happened in the past, we are I, creating a new reality as we go along. We create the future now. So whatever it is that we want in the future, whatever it right. is that we're craving and desiring, no matter what the consequences were of the women's movement, no matter what right. the consequences of were of rape and pillage and all the things, witch burning, I don't care. Like the history is just a memory and it only exists in the brain as and in history books. We right. don't have to create that as we move forward. We can create the world that you see and the world that I see, all we have to do is get clear about what we want. I totally agree. And, you know, the one pointer I offer people is just keep your keep your attention on this one, one gradient. If you're truly on the path to liberation, you will feel more and more integrated in your system. If you truly are heading towards freedom, more and more aspects of your subconscious will feel free to come to the conscious aspect and you'll be able to integrate them and live them. You'll be able to integrate those parts of you. And if you're actually not on the path to liberation, you will do what I actually see what's happening these days, which is your shadow is actually going to get darker and bigger. So this is a very ironic thing to watch happening, 
that in the name of liberation, in the name of equality, in the name of justice, we are creating a deeper shadow. And I don't know whether this has always happened. I don't know whether revolutions have always created this dichotomy, but I certainly feel like I'm watching it a live show right now in this country. And not just this country, really. In most Western cultures. Yes, I agree. I agree. Well, we need to uh, wind down now. And it's been my pleasure having you. So let me find, let's tell people how they get the book, Prerequisite to Ecstasy. How would they uh, go about getting that from you? The book is available on uh, iBooks from Apple. It's available on Kindle for digital readers. And it's also available in print from Amazon, Amazon Print. So that's so actually, just, it's actually prerequisites, plural. Prerequisites to ecstasy, yes. Right. And I, listen, I highly recommend it. I, I, it's not just because Elm's my friend. I read it and I grew from it. And any book that I read, it's, it's different from going, yeah, I know that, I know that, I know that. What are they saying new? That's kind of how I felt about The Secret. Sorry, everyone. But <laughs> <laughs> prerequisites to ecstasy, I, it was new stuff. It was great, and and Om and I are in the same world uh, of of transformation, and I still felt like it influenced me and made a tremendous difference as far as I was concerned. So, prerequisites to ecstasy, Amazon and Kindle. What about hardcover? Or also you know, oh, or or soft cover? Is it hardcover or is it paper? It's a, it's a paperback. Okay, great, 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 great. Yeah. Amazon will give you both options. You can buy a paperback or you can buy Kindle. And when you read the book, sit down with next with it next to your journal because uh, you're going to need to do some writing, whoever you are. This book will transform a lot of elements of your life, I promise. Okay, Om, anything, any last piece before we have to say goodbye? There's so many pieces, so <laughs> let me just say goodbye. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, pursue your desires. Give, give some. Uh, don't shortchange your eros. That's the message I give over and over in the book. And I think our society culture is, has been shortchanging its eros for hundreds of years. And I don't. I actually don't see the tide turning yet. I think people are still shortchanging their eros, even though the hookup culture is on the rise. I think the depth of human eros is still going neglected. So my encouragement is really don't consign your erotic selves to a very small portion of your life. Your eros is big. Respect it a little bit and pursue it and give it room in your life. Wow, it's a great one. Thank you so much, Om, for being my guest. Thank you for being my friend. Thank you for writing your book, doing your play, and all the creative things That's that perfect. you do. Yeah. Yeah, and I look forward to us seeing each other again in the not-too-long yep. future.